Well, Happy New Year. It is exciting. You know, I feel like I haven't seen you guys since last year. Uh, Nick's, Nick's got the dad jokes. I don't need to do those. So, okay. I'm just glad. It's good to see you guys here. We are uh, diving into a new series here. And uh, if you were here on Christmas Eve, you had an opportunity to join in picking out the topics uh, where we're headed in this next series, which is really about questions and answers. We offered up these cards and allowed uh, people just to ask their questions. We really wanted to invite uh, as many of you who uh, don't know Christ, maybe you're exploring Christianity or maybe you're just exploring um, you know, just faiths in general. We would, we want to hear your questions. You can still offer your questions. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer those questions because we really do believe that a good question deserves a good answer. And so that's what we're trying to do in, in this. So if you're watching on, online at home, uh, it's an opportunity to share this kind of thing with somebody. Maybe they've got questions and you'd love to talk to them. If you're outside, if we're here, this is one of those services that we would love to see you guys inviting people and uh, asking your friends, what are their questions? And let's see if we can't help them engage with the faith. And if you're here today because you asked a question, you're hoping we're to dive into that, engage uh, with that question, then uh, I'm going to try to hit them all at some way. And uh, we've categorized all the questions we've got and put them into certain areas and they've kind of fallen into some categories. And so we'll try to attack them over the next four weeks. But all this uh, being said, we're just uh, excited that you get to pick the topics and we get to dive in at where people are interested. So we're going to start with just some prayer before we really get moving though. Would you join with me? Father, once again, we uh, come before you just thanking you for the opportunity to dive into uh, questions. Lord, so many people have just been told that just have faith to not think about it, to remain there. But Lord, you are the God who calls the simple to be wise. You don't want us to remain in simplicity. You long for us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of you. God, that we would live for you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We thank you that we've gotten a chance to give uh, some of our, our um, emotions and our, and our strength to you this morning as we're, uh, we're just praising you in music, and um, we now want to just give our minds over to you. Would you just bless our conversation, bless this uh, time. As questions arise, uh, allow us to be able to ask those and get them, uh, get them answered at some level, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This, uh, I did my typical thing that I normally do at New Year's, and that is I'll sit down with my journals. And is anybody else in here journal? Anybody at all? I'm probably the only person I know. Yeah, I, I've journaled since I was in junior high. And so I have a long track record of journals that I can go through and look at. And all of those New Year's things, like resolutions and stuff, have been kind of recorded throughout the years. So while I was sitting down looking at my what I had written for this year and my New Year's resolutions and thoughts and things like that, I started reading the past years and kind of diving through them. And I realized, man, I've never succeeded at any of them, right? I, it's just like, it's the same New Year's resolutions every single year. I'm going to get more organized. I'm going to get more this or that. And uh, I'm going to finish that book or whatever it is. And it never happens. And so I have a prediction for myself in 2022. It's going to be the same thing. You know, it's just going to be that same old, same old. Um, anybody else feel like that? You're probably Gen Xers if you do. So that's, the, uh, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm just kind of in that pessimistic mode. I know what's coming up in 2022. The same thing that happened in 2021. And, and the same thing that happened in 2020. The same thing that happened in 2019. Same thing that happened in 2018. It's going to be all kinds of war, famine, plagues, awful things that happen to human beings all over the place. We're gonna, just going to see a mess. Because we live in an evil world. Happy New Year! I'm just kidding. Really, I'm doing this because I do want to address this problem. I think we get a little bit 
ignorant. We kind of drop our, we drop kind of the reality of life at the new year in hopes that we can improve. In hopes that we would lay enough, you know, new year's resolutions, enough new direction that we could overcome whatever's broken. And yet, you know, decades now of new year's resolutions, I think have shown us, it's not really going to address the problem. And when we asked for your guys' questions and, and we received them back, we got the classic one right off the bat, which was simply this. Why does God allow evil? I mean, we got to start here. If we're going to just take and, and get the cat out of the bag, the question that people are wondering anymore is about like, okay, God, is, he's good. Why, why is there evil in this world? What's going on there? Why is it, why is it happening? And, you know, this is a great question. It's a question that deserves a better answer than just have faith, right? Or, I don't know, I never really thought about it. You know, that's, those are not good answers. And I'll be quite honest, um, we as the church over the last several decades, over the last century, have gotten really good at being really simplistic. And it's been bothering me more and more that we've taken really a deep, complex, powerful set of information, and we've done our best to make it into silly, simple aphorisms that people reject. You know, the, the Proverbs call the simple to become wise, to gain knowledge and intelligence. And what I find super interesting is I don't want to be the church that doesn't answer a question like this well. This is a tough question. This is a question that requires better than a simple, just have faith answer or a simple aphorism or something like that. And what I want to promise you guys is that when you ask a good question, we're going to dig in at Olive Branch and we're going to try to give a good answer because I think your friends deserve it. I think this culture deserves it. I think we need to realize that our God wants us to be the people walking around as the intelligent people on the planet. Okay. I think that we have a great chance in this. And so when we look at this question, why does God allow evil? The best answer I can give you is, I don't know. Like, that's an aphorism. No, no, no. Let me dig into this a little bit. Why why am I saying, I don't know? Why why does God allow evil? I don't know. I have two reasons I use I don't know. That doesn't mean I don't have ideas, but let me just put it this way. I don't know. Because first of all, notice the question. The question, I love how this question is phrased. To me, it's the right way of phrasing the question. It is asking, Why does God allow evil? And so the question implies God's existence rightly to assume the answer. You have to have God's existence to ask the question in the first place. And maybe you're a secular minded person. Maybe you're somebody who is, who isn't dug too deep into this, but you think the idea that no God means you don't, why, why does God have to exist to have evil? Doesn't evil eliminate God because God's good and evil's there? No, philosophers for a long, long, long time have known that that argument doesn't work. It may be trumped up on the internet, but it's fallen dead in the philosophy centers, uh, except for a philosophy 101 class probably at RCC or something like that. But the bottom line is that's not an argument. In fact, what's interesting is if you erase God and you have a secular world, more and more people are coming to the reality and the conclusion of one thing. We don't know what the heck evil is. We don't know what's the good. We're so lost and confused. We're calling things we used to call evil good and things we used to call good evil. We are completely out of our mind, unsure of which way is up, down, or if there is an up or a down. Because when you don't have a God, all evil and good are, because you have a problem for both, is just chemicals and customs. All you got is culture, 
cultural custom. I mean, the Nazis, who can, who can blame them, man? That, that, was their col- that was their culture. Warmongers, you know, that, that's just who they are. They didn't do anything wrong, really. Or, or we end up with just chemicals, you know, I feel love and that's a good chemical. So that's good. Was well, it good? Is it really good? You know, we all gathered together and we all said, this is what is good. But is that good? Is that a good idea? Like we're so lost in the question of good and evil. Without God, you, you don't even have a, a starting point. Well, it's illegal. There are lots of evil things that are not illegal and there are lots of good things we've made illegal. And we just don't know what it is. And so when you don't have God, you don't have the question. We're absolutely confused. And I like that we assumed the existence of God in this because when you do have God, here's the thing. This is why I said, I don't know. Because we're talking about God. We're talking about a real being, right? This is not a a logical problem to solve. This is an interview question to ask. Do you ever think about it that way? Why does God allow evil is actually an interview question. If you could sit God down and talk to him, you would ask him the question and he would answer the question because he's God. The reason I say, I don't know is because I'm not God. And let's all praise God for that right now. Right? And neither are you. Now, that doesn't mean we can't get to some kind of answer. That doesn't mean that God hasn't shared with us some of his reasonings. And we, but, but if you were to ask me why, why God did this, I have to say, I don't know. I'm not God. But there's another reason why I say I don't know to start off. And I'm not trying to just you know, like mess with you guys. I'm, I'm trying to be honest is because of another word in this question that we were asking. And that is the word evil. What in the world do we mean by evil? I just said, even in our modern culture at our time here in Southern California, we, we don't know what good, we don't know what evil is. We, we just, we're confused. And so what do we mean when we say God allowed evil? You know, is it just inconvenience? Is it just something bad that happened? Is it, is it disease? Is it what? Our, our modern culture likes to define evil in this way, right? They say, you know, I can, you can do whatever you want to do as long as you don't hurt somebody else. Anybody ever heard that statement, right? I think we probably all have heard that or used that statement at one point in our lives, right? Here's what's interesting. I've asked people after that. I go, okay, so if you hurt yourself, is it bad? And they go, no, you can do whatever you want to yourself. And I go, really? The last stats check that I've checked, we've had more suicides and drug overdoses in our culture than we've seen in years. You don't think that's evil? Those people harmed themselves and it, yeah, it became an evil. It's a massive evil. And I just don't think we get what evil is and what good is and what it means. And the Bible is far more sophisticated than you could ever imagine. Beyond all those people out there that want to go, oh, those Iron Age ancient people, they didn't know nothing. They have run circles around us when it comes to morality. They are deeply intuitive and intelligent when it comes to the matters of good and evil and our universe. In fact, the Bible um, is extremely sophisticated when it comes to this issue. And that's why it's hard to answer this question with what do you, you know, why did God allow evil? It's like, what do you mean? Because in the Bible, there's really only a few, there's some, a group of words used for evil, but all of them are pretty much interchangeable. And what you'll discover is the main word, the main term in the Hebrew Bible is this word ra'ah. And it's a weird word. How's that for you? Like elementary, that's ra'ah, that's bad. That's what it means. It means it's bad. It doesn't necessarily mean evil. It could mean evil. It can mean inconvenient, painful. It's just annoying, bad, raw. And what I like about that is 
it wasn't a complex concept because it was the person looking at whatever it was that got to declare it was ra'ah. So anytime it was bad or evil, it's the Lord saw that it was bad. And when the Lord, God, sees something as bad, that's bad. That's evil. If I saw that it was bad, it's just inconvenient. Maybe I hurt you, something, you know, was a bummer. But evil is very, very interesting in the Bible because there's only one term that, that really pulls the concept of evil into real moral terms. And it's a term we don't really like in our culture anymore. It's a term we don't really use in churches a lot anymore. It's the term sin. See, sin is a moral evil. All the other evils like earthquakes and cancers and, you know, people dying of old age and stuff. That's, that's evils, but they're not moral evils. And in fact, what's interesting is you'll meet people out there that try to claim God makes evil happen. He created evil. And they'll use this verse from Isaiah 45, 7. But they'll use it from the King James Version. So if you ever run into this, you'll find it. But here's how it reads. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. That word calamity is the word ra'ah. Bad. And so the King James Version will actually translate, I make well-being and create evil. And they'll go, see, God makes evil. And yet again... We're not being very sophisticated in our thinking. Does God bring whirlwinds and hurricanes and earthquakes and diseases? Absolutely. Just read your Old Testament. God brings all kinds of calamities and problems upon humanity. But does God do moral evil? And that's where we begin to see when we're talking about why does God allow evil? What we're really asking is why does God allow us to sin? And sin is best defined as a person harming a person or harming themselves against God's law. It's something I do against you or I do against myself that violates God's moral code. And when I do that, I've harmed you and I've sinned. Sin is the ultimate form of evil in the Bible. Not illegal. Not, oh, you hurt me and you insulted me. Not offense. It is sin that is the ultimate form of evil in the Bible. And that is radically different than the way we think of it. But it helps so much. Because we really need to understand it is something we do to persons. And yet we've got it confused even in the church. I mean, I was sitting in a, I've heard this multiple times sitting in different churches where a pastor will get up and start talking about sin. And, you know, we need to talk about sin. And I want you all to know that every sin is the same. It leads you to hell. And I go, and finish the sentence. Because it's so misleading to just leave the sentence that way. Because it leads to this kind of question. Why? Do we treat sins differently? We're going to talk about sin and sin being this category of evil. Um, why, why, why do we treat sins differently if they're all the same? Because we've all heard sin's the same, sin's the same. Okay, yes, in one category, sin is the same. It's all the worst form of moral evil that we can do to each other. And all sin separates you from God. But now we need to add something to this. The jaywalker is not going to get the same punishment as Hitler, okay? Can we all be agreed with this? Can we stop acting like, well, all the sins are the same and Hitler and the jaywalker are going to the same place? No, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, Jesus makes a very clear differentiation in sin. He's talking to these two towns he's been preaching in Corazon and Bethsaida. And he says, woe to you. And that's like a cry of watch out because here comes judgment. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For of mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were two of the ancient worlds like top kingdoms with really all kinds of nasty, 
horrible idolatry and it was considered like the gateways for the demonic. There's a lot of interesting stuff in Tyre and Sidon. But if that had, these mighty works had been done there in your cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Wait a minute. More bearable? Well, it's going to be worse for somebody than somebody else? Yes, because judgment and justice, and God is just, has degrees. And so when we talk about sin at churches, hear me, you may be like, why do churches pick out a particular sin and pick on it? Sometimes we do that. To be quite honest, sometimes it's because the pastor's struggling with that sin. And that's the first one that popped into his head when he was preaching extemporaneously. I've done that. Sometimes it's because there's a situation in our culture that we have to address. A particular sin that is fomenting. In the 50s, it was divorce. And so every pastor was talking about divorce. In the 70s, it's abortion. And all the pastors are talking about abortion. And we're still talking about it today. In the 80s and the 90s, it became sexual promiscuity. Then homosexuality, now transgender. Yes, these are all situations that we wrestle with. And we're bringing them out in a church. But that doesn't mean we don't talk about pride and vanity and all the other great nasty sins that are going on. But there is a differentiation. Sometimes it's cultural. Sometimes it's a level. Like, look, you guys, uh, you shouldn't lie, right? You know that. Look at what happens to a culture when truth tellers lie. You don't know what's true anymore, right? Welcome to the U.S., right? That's where we're at. It's a good commandment. Don't lie. But it's far worse to lie when you're on a stand and somebody's life is in jeopardy. That's to bear a false witness, Do you see the degree of danger that you put people into? That is far more condemning than a, I didn't, I didn't play with my switch last night. Yes, I did. You know, that's like, it's like being angry, but it's a seed. It starts to grow. It's sort of like a poison. All of these things are, are like poison in our system. You could take a little bit of, you know, a little bit of some poisons and it's not going to hurt you, but you could keep taking and it grows and it'll kill you. You may get bit by a rattlesnake and you wait too long and you're dead. But you take a little bit of ricin, bye-bye, you're done. You're not going to get anywhere because it kills so fast. Its lethality is high. Some sins are like ricin. They all kill you and some are little. Little lies appreciate to big lies. Murder, that's a problem to the max. And you see, we don't want to just play games. This is about justice. And we don't think about that. We lose track of how to think about what's going on. You'll parent your kids where everything they do needs the same punishment. No, we need to be wise, not simple. And so when we engage in this kind of stuff, we want to realize, yes, sometimes we're going to treat a sin in one way. And we'll get into a little bit more in another section here in a couple of weeks on, you know, homosexuality and all that stuff. Cause some, a lot of questions have come in on that. And I want to discuss that. I want to look at that. I want to, I want to answer those questions. But at this point, I just want to point out, yes, all sin separates you from God. All sin is lethal. All sin will, will ultimately keep you and take you to hell, but that doesn't tell you how bad the punishment's going to be. And so we want to realize there are differences. And so we treat sin differently at different times. Now, 
That was question two. And so it helped to, to kind of dive into that. And again, I want to clarify something. When I'm talking about this sin then, and we're talking about these moral evils, all, God will do these kinds of things like hurricanes and earthquakes and that stuff, but he doesn't do moral evil. He's not the author of moral evil. He doesn't do evil. In fact, we see this uh, in James. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So wait a minute, if, if God doesn't make evil, how do we get evil? And the theologians will talk about this. On one hand, they will say what God does is he just lifts up and backs off his grace and you just go on your own free will. And what do we choose? We choose evil over and over again because our only choices we have are bad. That's one way of viewing it. Another way is that God acts to bring the good, but all, all in all, all the positions, basically God is not making the evil happen. But we are. We humans create evil. I create evil. You create evil. And when we grasp this, suddenly we're the agents. And it gets a little uncomfortable because in Christianity, we have this thing called the blame game. Anybody else play the blame game before? You know, I didn't do it. It's their fault. We've all been there. And the easiest blame game we can do in Christianity is go, well, it's Adam's fault, Right? He's the one who caused it because moral evil requires people. I'm a people, but I was born into evil. So, so I can excuse myself. It's Adam's fault. That's what Romans seems to say, right? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin. So it came through Adam, but then death spread to all because we all sinned. So we, we can't get off for that. But there is this interesting thing. We can point back to Adam. Uh, we, we are born into a sinful world because of Adam. Well, Adam has a blame. He did it. He basically said, yeah, it's the woman's fault. The woman who you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Her fault. Blame game. She went first. I just followed. And Eve sitting there going like, uh, I got tricked by the serpent. And that's what she says. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Blame game. And the serpent's like, hey, doesn't have any arms, so we can't do that. But... Uh, What's interesting about the serpent is this leads to the, the first place we begin to see evil. Biblically speaking, the serpent is the original rebel. The original angelic being that rebels against God and brings evil into reality. And what's interesting is somebody asked this question. This was question three, which is where it goes. If Satan was designed to be perfect, why did he want to overthrow God? So we get back to this beginning. God's allowing evil. Why would Satan want to do that in the first place? Why is Satan wanting to, uh, if he's designed perfect, why does he think he can overthrow God? What is up with this? It doesn't seem to fit. And once again, what we're looking at here is not a, a logical question not that it doesn't have logic, but you're looking at a biographical question. You're looking at an interview question, something you would ask a person. Yes. I mean, you may be like, you actually believe in Satan. I absolutely believe there's a Satan. Go back to our demon series and, you'll, and I'll introduce you to several psychiatrists and psychologists who've had to work through demon possessions and things like this. And indeed, Satan's real. He exists. And if you're going to laugh at me, I, I'm, I want to point out that if you don't believe in a God, you don't know what good and evil is. You have no standards. So I really think there's someone who is so evil, a being so capable and malevolent that he desires all of us to not have a relationship with God. And he works in this world. Now, let's set that aside for a minute. In the biblical storyline, it's still a question like, how in the world does this work? Like, 
if he's perfect, why does he want to overthrow God? We find the answer here in Ezekiel chapter 28. If you've got your Bible, you can open it up there. And God is giving us an inside look into what happened when Satan fell. Ezekiel 28 is interesting. We're going to actually talk to the king of Tyre. So if you've got your Bible, you're going to open it up. If you have never been to Ezekiel before, it's kind of halfway through your Bible. You see Psalm, go right. If you see something like Malachi or strange names, go left. And uh, you're going to end up right there in Ezekiel and then rotate into chapter 28. And we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Now, what I want you guys to see is that this is a lament. It's a, it's a song sung over a king of Tyre. Now, he, he is being identified in this song poetically with Satan and when, or the, the serpent in the garden, the Nakash is what it's called. This, this being who appears to be a serpent but is actually a spiritual being bringing deception. And so what we have is verse 11 picks up. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man... It's talking to Ezekiel, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord Yahweh, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So there's the idea where we're getting like Satan's perf was perfect when he was made. The only problem with that is that, first of all, this is a very, very difficult section to translate. Some would actually argue you are the perfect serpent is the better way to actually argue, to read this line. Either way, the word perfect's there. And just understand Hebrews think of perfection differently than we do. We think of a perfect diamond. It has no blemishes. It's pure and 100% like Absolutely what it should be, right? The Hebrews have a different mindset. The Hebrews think of it in function. It does what it was made to do exactly as it was supposed to do it. So this serpent is there. He's doing what he's supposed to do in the garden. And so he says, you are the signet of perfection. You are the full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Mark that. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. So notice how beautiful all these different stones that are found in Genesis chapter, actually chapter two, are laid out here in Eden. And so then he says, they were set, your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Note, if you think a cherub is a little baby with wings, go back to my angel's message two weeks ago for Christmas time. You'll find out they're just really weird looking Hebrew things. Okay, so we dive in back in. So you were the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Like where in the world is the holy mountain of God? Well, we could say it was Zion today, but back here it's Eden. Eden was a mountain. You know, where is that in the Bible? Right here. And the fact that four streams, four rivers found their headwaters in Eden. Rivers start in mountains and flow down. They don't start in plains and flow out. They, they start in mountains. Eden was a mountain location, the mountain of God, the place that they were going to meet. And here he is in this place, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. All right, so here's the fall. When the world happened, how did he fall? If he's perfect, and he's in Eden, everything's great. He's standing with God. He's, got, he's on the mountain of God. He's part of his assembly. He's got access to God. How does Satan fall? What is going on here? We pick it up in verse 17. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And it goes on. Now, what's interesting here is the sin that is found in Satan is what sin? Pride. Pride. 
That is a scary thought. Pride was the initial thing that led Satan to look at his beauty. We don't know, we don't know why, what, what, how it formed in pride, but he's obviously a beautiful being. And we don't know if he's looking at God and going like, God's getting all this worship and all this glory. And can I get a little bit of that? I'm a pretty good looking dude. Or did, you know, God created Adam and Eve and he looked down at Eve and he's like, she's prettier than me. That's not fair. You know, we don't know. But he was all been out of shape about his glory and beauty and wonder, and he was puffed up in pride. So puffed up in pride that it warped his wisdom, his thinking. His wisdom became a proud wisdom. It was based on him. And basically what we can say about pride in the Bible is this. It is the attempt to tell God, you're not running my life right. I'm going to run it for myself. It is the attempt to be the king and throne of your own life, to be an individual all by themselves, to throw off the fetters of any control of anyone, which is what we would call individualism. And this pride, which we celebrate in our culture, this pride is the first thing that was found in Satan. You go, why in the world would he do that? It doesn't answer the question. Why, how does in the world does he think he's going to beat God? I mean, he's looking at God. He sees God's powerful. I, said, I get it. I, I'm not sure how he does it. But let's just take a minute and step back. There's one place we can look for a little bit of thought. And, and it's really close to you. It's in your own heart. Because let's stop and think about it for a minute. If you believe in a God, even just a supreme being, some God way out there in the sky who's powerful and made you and made the world and everything in it, and, uh, you know, we may not be the Christian God, but you believe in a supreme being of some kind, what makes us think that we're going to beat him when he's supposed to be in charge? Or her, I don't, you know, wherever you're at in that, as Christians. What makes us think that we are going to beat the almighty God? We have the same pride problem. In fact, think about the question. Because the question is interesting. Our question is, God, how can you allow evil? Now, we better be careful with how we ask the question. In the Proverbs state, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. God does not like pride. He does not like arrogance. He tells, the, he tells those who are wise in their own eyes, he's like, there's better chance for a fool. And so what we have here is a real conundrum, a real problem. We want to rule our lives. We, want, we believe we're good enough, capable enough. And God says, uh-uh, that's the number one way that you're going to get separated from me. Be careful when you ask the question then, why does God allow evil? Because there's a proud way. Why does God allow evil? I can't believe he would do this. If I was God and I made the world, I wouldn't let all these bad things happen. Ooh, the very evil we're speaking of is speaking. And I find that in my heart when bad things happen to me in this world. It's fascinating to me that it shows up in response to itself. But at the same time, there's a humble way to ask the question. You could ask the question, God, why do you allow evil? Genuinely wanting to know, genuinely wanting to ask, but not angry and cocky and proud about it. 
And so let's take the question in the second direction. Let's take it back to the humble and ask that question like, God, why is it that you really are allowing this evil? It is hard to understand. And there are three guesses that theologians have kind of worked through in the Bible. God's given us a lot about himself, a lot of information about who he is and what he's done in history. And so when we begin to examine it, there's kind of three answers that people have given. There's probably more, but I'll give you the top three that I've I've learned over the years. Number one, God allowed evil so we could fully know him. You go, what? Imagine God didn't allow evil. You would never know his justice. You'd never witness his mercy. You never experience his patience and see how unconditional his love is to you. I mean, how does God express an unconditional love that even after you sin, he still loves you? Even after you violate his law and you heard how people who are made in his image, he's like, I love you. We wouldn't know that aspect of God, theologians point out, if he hadn't allowed us to step into sin. That may not be satisfying, but a second one that's also given up is that God desired this world to be made and so he allowed sin. That sounds like he wanted sin in the world. No, hold on. Think about it this way. God wanted you and everyone in this room and everyone on this planet to be here. He loved you. He wanted to create you. In order for you to be created, there are a lot of evil things that have to happen for you to get here. Do you realize that? If God had just gone, now we're making a good creation, boom, it's unlikely your genetics would have come together. There would have been a lot of other combinations available and a lot of other things happening. A lot of people who didn't die that would be alive. And the bottom line is, in his allowance of evil, you're here. And he desired you to be here. Because he loves you. And yes, there's a lot of evil that he has tolerated and put up with that we have done, but to have you here. Because he wanted you. He wanted this world of people Now, the third one that people pointed out is this, that God allowed it because he wanted you to have the freedom to choose to love him. See, love is not something you coerce. You can't calculate and do free guy love where, you know, in the movie Free Guy, the guy's, you know, programmed to love this person. Is that really love? No, it was programmed. That's not real love. Programmed love is not love. Love must be free to choose or not to choose philosophers have pointed out. And so they've argued that God is created a world in which we get to choose to love him, which means your choice to not love him has to be real. You're not determined to love him as as this argument would go. You can put all three of these together in different ways, but ultimately God allows evil because he allows you the choice to love him or to go do your own thing. And so suddenly this combination, you see that God has... Lots of reasons to allow evil and possibly even more. They may not be satisfying. They may not be the thing that really helps us engage. But the bottom line is he allows it. And I think some of us struggle with like, well, why doesn't God stop it right now then? Why does he keep letting it go? Again, if he had stopped it with Adam and Eve, Adam would have died right on the spot, right? It's just like sin, dead. He wouldn't have known his mercy, wouldn't have known patience, wouldn't have known the love of God. All those things would have been gone. God didn't stop it there because he also intended to have us here. And he doesn't stop it today. Can you imagine if he answered that, how many of our loved ones wouldn't be with us in eternity because they haven't yet heard that God can overcome the evil in this world and in their own souls? 
How many of our friends wouldn't have the opportunity? How many in this world wouldn't have the chance to hear the gospel? Do you not know that's why God told us as Christians to get this message out there? There's a gift we're supposed to give to the world and nothing's supposed to stop us. Not a vaccination, not, a, not, a, not an airport problem. No, we figure it out. We're going to go and we're going to be determined. This is what I love about what Tim and Molly are doing. They're determined. They're not going to give up. They're going to get that gospel to those people. Whether they're sitting here for four years, 10 years or what, they're going to keep going. Because they know that's the answer. And they know that's the love. God's not going to stop it. Well, how about he just stops the evil and the innocent? At least the children, right? Don't let the kids get hurt. The problem with stopping innocent, evil done to innocence is this. There would be no route to salvation. The most innocent person who's ever walked this planet was named Jesus Christ. He never did a single moral evil. He never sinned. That's pure innocence. That's legal innocence and that's true innocence. He walked about without having done evil and he found himself upon a cross having evil done to him. Why? So that he would swallow the evil whole, overcome the evil of this world, overcome the evil of every nation and person, take it upon himself and reckon with it. I love that word. Because it means he swallowed the guilt, he paid for the punishment, he solved it completely in the person of himself on the cross. He vanquished the worst evil that all of us will know if he doesn't return, which is death by rising from the dead. He conquered the evil by having evil attack innocence. And so God has these reasons connected in here. And I don't think he looked as, looks at this problem the same way we do. We see it as like, oh, it's so uncomfortable because we live in evil and we struggle and we suffer in evil. But evil doesn't worry God. It's, it's not a threat to God. And I think he allowed it because he's not a threat. He wasn't like, if I let this happen, everything's going to fall apart. No, he looked at it and said, if I let this happen, I already have a solution. I will come personally and bear all the evil they created. He didn't make it. That way that I will give them a gift. Every person can receive the gift. You don't go work for it. You don't make sure you're all perfect and all lined up. No, it's a gift. Now that is able to be received by every age, culture, location, time period, because it's a gift. Who doesn't know how to receive a gift? But he paid for it all. He overcame the evil in the world. And then he says, if you take me into your life, I will overcome the evil in you. And so he deals with the personal evil at the cross and he deals with the corporate evil at the cross. He has completely conquered evil. He's not afraid of evil. He's not going to wake up one morning and go, I think I'll try being bad. God doesn't do that. It's so small and dumb to him. And he conquered it. And he offered everyone the opportunity. Here, come in through the nation of Israel, through all of us who are here in the church, there is this opportunity to receive this message. And what's interesting is that God then isn't like creating because he likes evil. He doesn't like evil at all. He hates evil. He's grieved when we sin. He doesn't enjoy this. In fact, if, if you don't receive the gift, it actually grieves God more. He's not pleased to send anybody to hell. He's not up there hoping, oh, I hope you don't receive this gift today because I can't wait to put you at the bottom. You know, and that's not what he's doing. In fact, it says this in Ezekiel, same prophet. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? 
and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? It was Jesus who looked over Jerusalem. He said, I weep over this place. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you stone the prophets. You kill those who I send to you. How often I've wanted to gather you, but you wouldn't come. God wants us. He puts up with evil so you're here. He puts up with your evil so that you would hear him, so that he could reach down and say, I can solve it. This isn't a conundrum for him. It's answered at a cross. And so when we ask the question, why would God allow evil? We begin to realize, I don't know exactly, but I have some ideas. But I don't think, the, I think the reason why sometimes the, what I've just given you isn't satisfying is because the third way we can ask this question, which is more like this, why did God allow evil to happen to me? Isn't that the real question? Man, I've asked that question. 11 or 12 years ago when my mom died of a cancer that was curable when she was at the City of Hope. Dying in a way I don't even like to think about. And I've had to mention it now twice today, so that's not fun. I asked that question. God, why did you let this evil happen to my family? And it was awful. My family's never been the same. And those of you who have lost central loved ones know that. Know that. But some of you are like, that's not even bad, Greg. You, you should really see what I've gone through. And I'm, I'm not trying to play games. I'm, I'm sure what you've gone through is far worse. But it still brings the same question. God, why did you allow the evil to happen to me, to my family? And I want to invite you to ask the question. In, hum, in humility, please. Because I really do think that with this question, when you ask this question, comes wisdom. Again, when we go back to the Proverbs, we read this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. How often when we're suffering, how often when evil comes, do we try to figure it out for ourselves? You're saying, Greg, that's the tr just, just have faith in me statement. No, 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 hear me. I'm not going to just tell you have faith in, in Jesus. What I'm telling you is that you lean in and you listen to what God has to say about it. You take his understanding on that. That's what that means to trust in him. You take his understanding. You take his advice and his knowledge about why he allows evil. Don't try to figure it out for yourself. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge he's working there. He'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, he warns you. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. One of the reasons we harbor this question in resentment is because we are angry and bitter at God and what it will produce in you is more evil. That's what it's saying. If you're trying to be wise in your own eyes, continue in your own pride, figure it out in your own way and God be damned, go away. Then you will find that you're not turning from evil. You're accommodating it. And so when we ask the question, I really beg of you, ask it in humility. Ask it in the, in the, in the tears and in the suffering and the difficulty the question deserves. But then when scripture does answer and God does come by his spirit to answer your question, receive it, even if it's not satisfying. Let me explain. 
There's lots, and I don't even have all of them listed. Lots of reasons God allows evil into our personal lives. Again, he doesn't make it, but he allows it to happen. And some of the reasons he does that is God can use it to bring about the ultimate good. And that's what, that's what Romans is all about. It's trying to say, hey, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. This is, I believe, the least satisfying answer. But there are times where we realize, you know what? Even this in the grand tapestry of everything will fit together one day. God doesn't throw anything away. Every piece is used in his recipe to perfection. And so you can believe that your suffering and the evil committed upon you has not been forgotten and is not a random event that has no meaning. It has meaning. And that's important to remind ourselves. Some of the meaning might be simply that God lets us have this evil in our lives because he's calling you to something greater. He's changing your trajectory or he's got a plan through this suffering that you don't see. This is exactly the story of Joseph. And the guy is sold into slavery by his brothers. Would you call that evil? Yeah, that's pretty evil. He goes from there and he's in the slavery. He is, you know, blamed and basically set up and thrown into jail by being claimed that he was trying to rape his, um, his master's wife. Now he's in jail and two guys are there who are supposed to help him out. He helps them. They don't let him out. I mean, evil upon evil upon evil upon evil until finally, suddenly he finds himself in charge of Egypt. And when dad dies 12, 15 years later, his brothers who had reunited with him come crawling up all freaked out. Joseph, what you going to do to us? You're going to kill us? We're, we're sorry. We threw you in the jail. We didn't do it. This is his answer after those, so many years of contemplating and thinking about what he was going through. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And do we see that God sometimes has a, has a hand in the evils that we don't see, but it takes time. You see, when we ask this question about personal evils, I believe that the answer is always answered with time. Joseph didn't have the answer in the pit or on the way to Egypt in bondage. He didn't have it while serving in Potiphar's house. He didn't have it when he was found in the bottom of the jail cell. He didn't even have it when he was ruling in front of Egypt. It wouldn't be until the end of his life that he came to the realization of what God was up to. And he could move away from bitterness and anger and resentment to forgiveness and freedom and love. And so ask the question and ask it because God may be doing something. And you may not even find out the full answer until eternity in which he opens the door of everything. And we will look at it as I've met many mature Christians who've gone through great suffering and they turn and they say to you, and I believe we will all say this one day, wow, that was horrible. And I don't ever want to do it again. But it was absolutely worth it. And you may not be anywhere near that at this time. And I understand that. But my goal here is just to show you that just a few of the reasons God may allow evil in our life because he's also a surgeon. And just like a surgeon does horrible things to your body in order to bring about healing, God does the same for us Christians. Because he's overcoming evil in your life if you have Christ. And none of us are perfect. 
And there is a war happening in you every day as Christ victoriously reigns over your life. And if you are a Christian, you will know what I'm talking about because over time, you'll begin to see how even the weirdest evils and the biggest problems of your life were there to mature and shape you into the very character of Jesus. It's not always obvious when we're going through it and it's sometimes not obvious later in life, but I guarantee you that God has the great surgeon knows exactly how to use the scalpel of evil. But I really believe one of the greatest reasons God constantly allows evil in this world is for this. He allows it in your life because he's trying to wake you up to your path. It is truly evil what has happened to you. God knows it. He knows it so well because he himself bore the brunt of the same evil on the cross. See, it's at the cross he identifies with you personally. It's at the cross he understands our pain and our suffering. He understands the evil of evil, but he wants to show you its impotence in light of his work. He wants to show you it's powerless and it does not have to continue to control your life. He's borne sin and evil upon himself to bear it away, to overcome it and to overcome it in you. And he offers it as a gift. No matter what answer I give about evil in this world, it will always take you back to the same hill of Calvary and the same cross where Jesus hangs as the one representative bearing our evil. Overcome, victorious he rises. And he offers his life and his victory to you to overcome the evil in your life if you would receive it. And today I want to give you that chance. Hear me, sinners, all of us, I'll receive his mercy. Do not let the pride that you think can take care of this keep you from the only answer in every religion and in every philosophy that conquers both personal and corporate evil. Receive it. It is yours today. Don't wait. Right now, just with your... Eyes closed, head bowed. What you will do is you just go to God, admit your sin to him in your heart. Tell him you know the evil. Ask him to forgive you and to bear that evil on the cross. And as he has conquered it now, as he's risen from the dead, ask him to come into your life, to conquer it in you. To make right the evil done to you. And to use even those things so that you would become a person who walks in goodness. Let him know you're going to follow him in that way. Father, for those in this room who are praying that prayer right now, I just ask that you would indeed just 
Let them sense your presence and your nearness. God, if they're online, let them just respond. Help them to let someone know because they need to just announce that they've been set free from that evil. God, would you just bless them in that way? Would you help all of us who have been set free to feel the joy again of your overcoming power in our hearts and our lives? And God, where we have been dead, wake our hearts because evil was so near and yet you have conquered it. Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you that even though I, I continue to do evil in my life, you are there waiting not to crush me, but to lift me and to forgive me and to point me to a greater victory. Thank you that you're there for all of us in that way. And in that way, help us take the depth and the beauty of this message to the world that they too may be set free in this year of the evil that has bound their lives. Yes, you allowed it, but Lord, you you had a solution and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before Danny comes up here, if you did pray that prayer or received him online, maybe it's today, maybe you're coming back. Maybe it's the first time you're like, I didn't ever know about it that way. I've been at church all these years and I finally did. Let us know. There are cards in the seats. There's the blue cards and you just want to take them. It says you're making a commitment. And it's so we can help you move forward in this beginning journey. It is a beginning of a journey. You know that. We want to help continue to work together as a community that overcomes evil. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that community. Let us know you made that decision. Otherwise, Danny, he's got some announcements for you guys. Thank you. Well, what a blessing to be preached the word of God and truth, right? All of it. Well, I just have a couple of announcements for you uh, before we go. Just a couple of fun things. One is uh, if you're new, uh, maybe you've uh, had some opportunity to be at the church for a little bit, but you never got an opportunity to meet anyone or talk to anyone. Well, we have a um, uh, meet the family right outside. So right after service, if you want to uh, spend a couple of minutes with uh, one of the staff members or one of the elders or one of the, uh, the volunteers, Lord, we'd, lo- we'd, we'd really love for you to come and meet us and talk to us and really get to know us. Secondly is, how many of you have been to or participated in the James Project? All right, good. Well, we're looking for some leadership. Uh, we're trying to rebuild that team, and there's a meeting next Saturday. It's, it's uh, in the church information. You can get it there. We'd love for you to participate in that, to be part of that leadership team that, that helps develop those, those opportunities that we go to, go to help so many people in our community. And last but not least, next weekend, we have a blood drive. So those of you that want to give a, a donation, uh, they'll be here uh, through all next services, uh, through the first, second, and the second service next week, and we'd love for you to sign up. Remember, you can go online, and you can sign up uh, in advance, do an express uh, uh, setting so that you can go ahead and, and uh, pick your time when you can get uh, and donate. Other than that, uh, I just want to thank you for being here today. Uh, it's a sombering message. I know it's kind of... Uh, uh, interesting to to know how uh, we are blessed by the teaching of this church. And I just want to pray over you a blessing. So would you bow your heads? Lord, we just ask for a blessing for the church. Lord, as Greg asked, would we be those people that go out and be bold in in our proclamation of you, knowing that you are the true reason why we're here? We just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this community that we're part of. And we thank you for the love of Jesus. We ask this. And all God's people said, 
Amen. We'll see you next week. God bless.